What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mordcast, a conversation about the most competitive opening night loss in the history of the NBA. I'm, of course, talking about the Denver Nuggets defeating the Los Angeles Lakers in their opening night ring uh, ceremony banner raising uh, euphoria. Uh, of course, you're world champion Denver Nuggets played the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, and uh, there are some things to talk about in this game. Uh, in the first half, I'm going to kind of go over the Denver Nuggets side of it. And the second half, I'm going to talk about uh, the Los Angeles Lakers side of this. But first, the Denver Nuggets uh, really did something last night that I thought was um, the most encouraging thing they could do. And it was really interesting to watch this. And I'll cover this more in the second half when I talk about the Lakers. Of course, I used some snark talking about how the uh, there was going to be there were, the Lakers had conversations about the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and of course, this uh, opening night defeat by the Lakers was a uh, what you would call a very competitive one. Shout out to uh, Brian Windhorst. But one of the things that uh, really struck me in this game was how similar the Nuggets looked to um, the way they were in the finals. Um, not necessarily the, the Lakers, um, the Western Conference Finals end of it, um, but just with Michael Porter Jr. struggling to shoot, and we'll get to him in a little bit, um, this really did look like one of the games against the Heat, as far as from the Nuggets perspective. Um and this was an interesting kind the way it unfolded was really interesting. Well, first we need to talk about Nikola Jokic. Obviously, 29 points, uh, what was it, uh, 13 rebounds, 12 assists right on there. I mean, it was, or 11 assists, something like that. Um, Jokic uh, really actually kind of coast, I would say he kind of had a good first half, coasted through the third quarter, and then turned on the gas in the fourth quarter. Basically, what you need uh, in your superstar, specifically one who's probably he who plays always the same way, plays consistently, and honestly, one of the things that I've I noticed about Jokic uh, in the game last night was the acknowledgement and the the kind of the realization that the Lakers couldn't do anything necessarily to bottle him up. He kind of let the he they they the Lakers did the Rui Hachimura on Jokic thing in the first half and Jokic kind of, you know, he ended up backing down Austin Reeves, backing down Riri Hachimura and stuff like that, but that's not what he wants to do. Um, I, I, Jokic is one of those guys who prefers to back down big guys. And I think this is something that, um, this is something that I think Nuggets fans need to realize. He, there's mismatches that he gets in the post, um, Danilo Gallinari was one of the best post players before Jokic came along. Was one of the best post post players the Nuggets had in in their history. I mean, it was lo lo mostly because he would get these switches on smaller guys, and he'd either shoot over him or sort of back him down and shoot over him. But he was really good at that. Jokic is not that kind of guy. He's not a back down the smaller guy guy. He is a he really does prefer to bang with the big guys, and then when he gets a smaller guy on him, he wants to pass over him. And in the second half, Jokic was just 
passing over Rui Hachimura and uh, Austin Reeves when they got switched on him. And um, this was just another kind of what I would call a micro-evolution in the way that Nikola Jokic has approached his game, in the way he's evolved. And there were some acknowledgments of, of things that he'd struggled with um, when the Lakers made that adjustment midway through Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, which the Nuggets swept, obviously. So there was this there was this kind of uh, acknowledgement from Jokic that he had adjusted and saw what he needed to do. There was a couple plays at the tail end of the second quarter where Jokic was starting to get frustrated because obviously when they switch a young uh, a smaller guy on you, they let you they let them foul you like they will more than a big guy. It is just Adam Adam Mares, um of various other media companies has said the same thing. He he has notices that the little guys get away with murder when they're being when you're guarding a big guy because because the benefit of the doubt goes to the the smaller person uh who's guarding them um i can definitely tell you in the 90s that was not the case this really did turn once the rules changed by the mid aughts so um jokic really to my mind it was one of the more encouraging things because it looked like he definitely evolved his game. And that evolution was another, like, um, like I said, it's a micro evolution. It's not something that everyone's going to notice, but Jokic in the second half, acknowledging that they're going to end up switching littler guys on him because Davis doesn't necessarily like to bang with Jokic. And, uh, basically, adjusting by saying, okay, what I want to do is when they switch a younger guy on me is get a good position and pass out of it. And there was some mid post stuff they were doing. that was really cool in the third quarter more than anything else, because in the fourth quarter, Jokic kind of really put the pedal to the metal and, and did his usual directing of the offense thing via assists and via, um, you know, passes out to, uh, Porter KCP, um, you know, Murray, the two-man game stuff. There's been an evolution of the two-man game, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kind of touch on that in a bit. But there was that kind of thing, and Jokic really kind of uh, uh, put a new wrinkle in it by by the third quarter, he understood what the, the, the Lakers were doing and was like, okay, I'm just going to pass over you. These guys are going to be open. You're going to have a big guy guarding a little guy, so he's gonna. I'm going to pass out to these guys and this was more deliberate than it was in the, the Western Conference final series in the fourth quarter he just dominated he just did his usual Jokic thing with the acknowledgement that the Lakers couldn't do anything about it um especially with LeBron James only playing 28 29 minutes a night which is going to be a thing and I'll get to that in the second half Jamal Murray had his usual Jamal Murray game and it was good to see because Jamal usually and this is something he hates but this is something that Jamal's if he's going to be honest has has got to acknowledge he's he usually starts the year off really slow. He will have these uh, occasional good games, but he'll start slow. Uh, usually the first game's not his best game. Well, this was a good Jamal game. This is Jamal really kind of doing his number two thing on the roster, hitting some big, big shots. Um, it's not necessarily yet there with the second unit. And I think this is going to be something that's going to be, we're going to have to watch is like, you know, Strother didn't get in. This was all 
vets and um, a little bit of uh, Peyton Watson. And, you know, obviously there's Christian Brown in there. Um, but the second unit, as we've said from the beginning, is going to score, struggle to score. And this is was not really exploited by the Lakers. And once again, second half, I'm going to talk about that. But the Lakers signed a bunch of people and they weren't able to take advantage of it. And um, the Nuggets really weren't exactly bothered for the whole game. The, you know, the Lakers got within three once and uh, the Nuggets really just kind of held on and expanded the league. And, and a lot of it had to do with Jamal hitting some big shots, hitting some big threes, getting some of those good drives and stuff that he usually, you know, always does. And it was really good to see Aaron Gordon uh, was great all night. Aaron Gordon's ability to slot into the Denver Nuggets is probably the thing other than getting um, drafting Nikola Jokic and drafting Jamal Murray. Trading for Aaron Gordon may be the single greatest move of Tim Connolly's part in Denver. Um, I've discussed this before, but Tim Connolly uh, liked Aaron Gordon all the way back to his when he was drafted in 2014. Uh, I know because I was there. And um, this was kind of like seeing how seamlessly Aaron Gordon fits into with the Nuggets and what they do. It's it's, just, it's perfect. Tim Connolly knew this, and uh, big ups to him for for what he was able to do and seeing that um, all the way back then and being able to get it, you know, finally to come to fruition in 2021. Um, Aaron Gordon is the perfect role player for the Denver Nuggets. He is a guy that can is just knows what he can do good, and and he really is thriving in what he can do, and this is something he was missing in Orlando. And stepping into the Denver Nuggets, he has become something else. He has become the ultimate role player. And people say he's a number three on the roster. And you could say that in a sense because he plays in a spot where he gets a lot of opportunity. Um, and being thriving in that position, you know, people forget that uh, people forget that uh, Kenneth Fareed really thrived with Nikola Jokic. And a lot of that had to do with a lot of stuff that Aaron Gordon does. He would dump off, get the dump off in the dunker spot. You know, Kenneth Reed was the ultimate dunker spot uh, player. Um, he was really good at that. You know, he he suffered in other areas, defensively and you know, other extending out offensively. But he uh, thrived in that spot. And Aaron Gordon is doing the same thing, but he can do other shit too. And that really what makes him a lethal role player. The Nuggets starting five is amazing. KCP had another great night. He's a, he's, he's, he's part of the duo that spaces the floor. And when he's hitting shots, the Nuggets offense is basically unstoppable. And really he slits, he's kind of like Aaron Gordon and he fits in seamlessly with what the Nuggets are trying to accomplish. And that part can uh, is is so vital to what you're able to do as a team that you have two role players who are able to just do and thrive at what they do, and that sort of thing is uh, invaluable. And KCP once again picked up right where he left off with the, in the finals and the playoffs. It's this this Nuggets team just looked 
like they did in the finals, like a well-oiled machine that was able to play different styles. And a lot of that has to do with KCP and Aaron Gordon uh, being able to thrive at what they do. They can't really attack a lot of different things in the Nuggets starting lineup. You've got to hope to get to their bench. Um, and, and this part is you know, part of the, the, the chess moves coming into this season. I am, you know, obviously it's going to get to a point where the Nuggets are going to have to play Strother and some of the other young guys. Um, but as of right now, it, it looks really good. Once again, shout out to Reggie Jackson, who had a good first half and a not so good second half. Um, Rick Jackson's game is so different from, uh, everyone else's is kind of like Chris Paul and the Warriors and you just kind of have to make do and and see how you can do it I'm skeptical that it'll be able to work but I think that it's something that's for a night it was it was good first particularly the first half Reggie Jackson played really really well um and I I really was encouraged by some of the things he was doing in the second half he really struggled and I think I think we're going to be dealing with that for the rest of the year now to Michael Porter Jr um MPJ really struggled shooting the ball. Um, it was one of those, it really reminded me of the heat series. Now this one is, was probably because MPJ spent the entire preseason out with the, uh, severe ankle sprain that he had. Um, I mean, seriously, he missed, what was it? 21 days of, of activity. It's just, that's a long time. And then he just comes right in. And of course his shot's going to be off. But one of the things that tells you that Mike's going to be okay was the fact that his, he played better defense than this game than I have ever seen him play. I mean, he played good defense in the Miami series, but, but the defense and rebounding and just all around covering ground that he did was invaluable. And here's the, the, the what I'm going to say about Nuggets fans, the casuals, any of that. We're talking about the Denver Nuggets, looking at the Denver Nuggets. MPJ is not a ranked player. MT, MPJ is a complete wild card. He is the he is the um, ingredient that makes things special. Okay, he is the the secret thing that you put in that no one you can tell no one about uh, in your recipe, and it's the thing that makes it what it is. MPJ, uh, I, I said this going back to Game Five of the uh, of the Finals. Without MPJ's activity in the third quarter of that of that series, of that Game Five, Nuggets don't win that game. Period. That that series would have gone six games. Um, MPJ uh, and his activity and big shot making and steals uh, and all of that and assists in that third quarter, very specifically, Nuggets don't win it. Um, the Nuggets were, could not throw, uh, a, a, a pee into the ocean. They were dead in the water and Mike kind of by himself willed the Nuggets to, to back because I think the Nuggets were down a bit in the third quarter and they were looking bad in that game. I think we, we are romanticizing a lot of this playoff wrong, but the, the worst game the Nuggets looked was that game five. You could tell the tension got to them. And MPJ stepped up and kind of just did his thing. And it was kind of looked like a, you know, a, a deer on ice out there doing it, but he did it. And one of Mike's biggest attributes is that he is so long. Every aspect of Mike is long. He can cover a lot of ground. If he's, if it's healthy, Mike can cover a lot of ground that other players on the roster, including Aaron Gordon, can't do. Michael Porter Jr. is like that. And what we saw with the with Mike 
was even though his shot wasn't falling and look if the if mike hits even half of what he i mean i think he ended up being three of nine if he hits three more shots the nuggets win by 20 think about that and mike is just you know they it is a difficult role being a floor spacer and being designated as such okay and you have to find other ways. I do have some sympathy for Mike for having to be put into that role. It's not, it's, it, it, it requires a ton of sacrifice, but you can find other areas to thrive. And one of the key parts of last night was that Mike, especially there was this, there was this play in the third quarter where Mike goes out and he covers, I forget, was it, was it Vincent on the, in the, or was it, no, 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 it was a uh, Prince. And he, runs out it was a it was a uh a corner three prince goes to shoot and mike's there and smothers him absolutely smothers him and then on another play he steals uh i think it was austin reeves on a on a on a, a, a erstwhile break there was a lot of different things that mike was doing and then eventually he ends up with 12 points 12 rebounds and two assists and one steal i mean that's just that's a great stat line that really is a great stat line for someone who doesn't get a ton of opportunities. So I think a big ups to Mike, even though his shot wasn't falling, he was really playing hard on both defense and, and, and rebounding. And uh, that's the kind of thing that sets the Nuggets apart and makes them a special team this year. So Nuggets are 1-0 and uh, on to the next game. All right, before I get to the Lakers segment of this, I'm going to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block there, always online at bfwcolorado.com. Everyone's heard me talk about this. Everyone knows what kind of wines they get. They have go to BFW Colorado to look up their menu, see what they got on store. Uh, I highly recommend the Cabernet and the uh, Pinot if you're into red wine. They also have Rieslings, which is a very sweet wine or they got Gewurztraminers and any other whites and obviously they also got rosés uh anything you need uh they got a location in fort collins uh they've got a special tasting room uh, with for for a reservation in golden and health and they got their original location in sonoma county california great place and great vibes particularly the the dairy block location is uh, one of my favorite places to go in denver once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazine, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CHQ Podcast sent you. It's amazing how the Los Angeles Lakers looked exactly the same. I, uh... I was that was one of the things that was the most remarkable to me. You know, the Nuggets I said looked the same, but the but the Los Angeles Lakers had spent this offseason adding Gabe Vincent, adding Christian Wood, Adam adding Jackson Hayes, re-signing uh Austin Reeves. Um there was a lot of expectation that this team, Lakers team would be different and be more able to to combat what the Nuggets are able to do. Well, one of the things that struck me, other than Anthony Davis disappearing in the second half, and we'll get to that, but one of the things that struck me was how exactly the same the Lakers looked and how this game ended up basically like the last two games of the Western Conference Finals. It was remarkable how similar it was, despite all the additions. And, and, and there was a lot of different factors for that that I can't 
quite pinpoint. Um, the number one factor, obviously, is that uh, they struggle to guard Nikola Jokic. Um, everyone is going to struggle with Nikola Jokic. That's not something new. The interesting thing was in the first half, Anthony Davis sort of went toe-to-toe with uh, Nikola Jokic, sort of. And it was one of those things where uh, Davis does different things from Nikola Jokic. He doesn't control as many aspects of the offense, but he can be a dominant scorer and a dominant defensive player. Um, And what you saw was basically prototypical Anthony Davis in the first half, which is what the Lakers need, particularly with if they're planned to rest LeBron James uh, and basically only play him less than 30 minutes a night is going to go through this regular season. One of the things that was remarkable about this was watching Davis and really him not being unguardable at all, but really racking up the points in the first half for a team that really otherwise wasn't scoring very easily. And that was takeaway number one, obviously. Caveat with this thing, folks, is that this is game one of 82. As for the Nuggets, same applies to the Lakers. Things could dramatically change, as the, as it did for the Lakers last year when they started two and ten and ended up going and making the playoffs. So and getting the Western Conference Finals. So obviously caveats are a plenty with this. But it was interesting how how dramatically similar they were, and how their issues with the Nuggets didn't change. Um, and it, it was interesting to see Anthony Davis completely go the opposite direction in the second half of this game. Anthony Davis was able to get absolutely nothing done against Jokic in the second half. And that part was very interesting. Davis, um, he blows hot and cold and he goes through streaks where he is the most dominant player in the league and then he goes through others where he's injured, and then he goes through others where he's a non-factor. And I'm sure for Lakers fans, it is very annoying. But this is the Anthony Davis experience. This goes all the way back to when he was uh, in New Orleans, okay? That's Anthony Davis. That's this. The Anthony Davis experience is blowing hot and cold. And the Lakers are counting on a ton from Davis. They need him to be the best player on the court every single time he goes out there because, you know, LeBron had a good game, but he's also almost 40. And being almost 40 is comes, I can tell you as someone who is on the downside of his forties, I can tell you once you reach 40, things are different. Energy is different. It doesn't matter if you're the most highly tuned athlete on the planet. And you could see it in LeBron. The biggest, and I'm to, to talk about LeBron a bit, the biggest indication you could see about LeBron and his abilities was essayed in Game 4 last year of the Western Conference Finals. LeBron, in his first half, was brilliant. Scored over 30, about 30 points. And, uh, or was it over 30? And he... And he was one of those guys that just looked damn impressive in those in that, and it was just like classic LeBron. Lakers led by ten. Something happened in the second half, and what happened in the second half of that game was he spent all his energy in the first half of the game, and was taking contested jumpers, 
settling for threes to conserve energy and all of that. You know, if anyone listens to the Morecast, you could tell that you can you can one hundred percent understand what I was saying when I said the Lakers' entire plan through the playoffs last year was to go out all out to win one of the two games, but preferably the first game in each of their series in order to rest LeBron in game two. And that was very specific, LeBron and Davis, because then they would go home and then they would go all out while they were in L.A. And that's how they would win their series. The Nuggets won their first two games and the Lakers had to get way out of their established comfort zone with that. They just couldn't they couldn't get around the fact that they need to rest LeBron. And this is something that happened again in game one of this of the of the 23-24 season is that it you need to rest let rest LeBron. But the problem is and there's a very stark reality to this is that LeBron probably can't do a full 48 anymore. And and play at a high 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 level. This is not Cleveland or LeBron, you my peak LeBron, Miami LeBron. You know, there's 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 none of that anymore. And the interesting thing is you know they don't do a lot without Austin Reeves. And I don't know if that's by design. Um, if I was the Lakers, I probably would have focused on Reeves a lot more than they did. I mean, there's some aspects of Reeves' game that's extremely irritating, but it's effective. And the Lakers just didn't do it. And it was the same as it was in the in the Western Conference Finals. The Lakers were the same team. And they had the same problems with covering Nikola Jokic. And we're going to get to um, LeBron and the Lakers storming off the court after the game. Obviously, that was in response to the "Who's Your Daddy" uh, chant by the home by the crowd at uh, Ball Arena, which is weird for that to be a factor in whether you shake hands with the Nuggets. Um, I don't. I don't know why that happened and why there hasn't been anyone calling out the Lakers for doing that. Um, national media. You got you get you. Can you do this, please? We're gonna to have to have start having conversations about this sort of thing. To me, that was as sure a sign as any as the Lakers. I uh, here's here's my view, and this is gonna be talking. I'm gonna be talking about this in a in a from the, in, the, in from the perspective of someone who has watched the Lakers for most of his life um, when they played the Nuggets and all this stuff. The Lakers fully expected to beat the Nuggets last year. And you can tell that they thought they were the better team all along. And there's a little bit of cope going on with Los Angeles Lakers. And because the the entire history of the championship winning era of the Los Angeles Lakers is beating the Denver Nuggets. A lot of their title runs have come when they've beaten the Nuggets. It is always expected to beat the Denver Nuggets. And franchise-wise, it has been hard for them to accept that the Nuggets have ascended to where they are. And you can tell that based on the reactions to Vic Lombardi saying the Lakers' daddy, which is one the thing that seems to really set them off. And don't forget about Michael Malone, okay? LeBron James knows Michael Malone very well. Um, and Michael Malone was an assistant coach of the Cavs. Um, let's forget all that for a sec. For some reason, the daddy comment really, really got to them. 
and you could tell. Even though they're attributing something to the Nuggets that the, none of the Nuggets actually said. So you're, they set up the situation where they think they're, they are playing a team that they didn't necessarily think should have beat them anyway. As a franchise, there's an arrogance coming from the Lakers about the Denver Nuggets, and quite frankly, it's earned. Um, the Nuggets never beat them in the playoffs, so <laughs> obviously it's like it's like built into their DNA. You know, they, they expect to beat the Denver Nuggets. So obviously there is that. And then what happened last night, particularly at the end of the game with the crowd chanting, who's your daddy? You could tell that it just, there was, the, there was this realization after the Nuggets pulled away that maybe what happened last year wasn't a fluke. And maybe the Lakers just tinkering around the edges and getting the likes of Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes and Gabe Vincent wasn't going to account for the fact that they had Nikola Jokic on their squad and the Nuggets had Nikola Jokic. And I think there could have been, this is me doing some psychoanalysis, but I think there could have been the realization from the Lakers that Oh shit, we're not that good, but this crowd is really annoying us with saying the Who's Your Daddy chant. So what we're going to do is storm off the court. Do you like the 1991 Detroit Pistons, right? It was a bad look for the Lakers. And I'm like I said, I'm surprised no one has brought this up. But it doesn't change one thing. It doesn't change the fact that the Nuggets are the better team. And that is going to be the hardest thing for the Lakers and their fans to accept. That the Nuggets are the better team. That they legitimately won the title. And this sort of now, I I have concerns that then when the Nuggets play the Milwaukee Bucks, I have concerns about them playing the Boston Celtics. I, those are those two teams specifically. I really have some concern with, and a mild concern with the Phoenix Suns. Okay, but when I see this and how it psychologically affected the Lakers and how offended they got at a crowd chanting something, which is what crowds do. It made me, it said a lot about the Los Angeles Lakers and the way they view the Denver Nuggets and the way they viewed the Western Conference Finals last year. And then, and LeBron obviously deflecting from the Nuggets winning by saying that he was going to think about retiring when everyone on the planet knew that that wasn't going to be a thing. It's obvious. And the Lakers will probably win some games against the Denver Nuggets this year and help, you know, who knows what happens in the future psychologically this got to the franchise of the, of the Lakers they have a view of the Denver Nuggets franchise it's a fundamental view of the Nuggets franchise and they can't get over it they can't get over the fact that they think they should always beat the Nuggets they're facing some realities right now and judging by them storming off the court and not shaking hands with the Nuggets players afterwards kind of tells you what's happening right now and it's going to be interesting to watch how these uh, th this teams handle this going forward. I think the Nuggets have more animus towards the Suns. I think the Nuggets have more animus towards some other people than the, really the, the Lakers. But it's how the Lakers handle this. It's going to be interesting to watch going forward. All right. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. Um, back to uh, the regular season, folks. Thank God. Uh, there are going to be more frequent episodes uploading this year. hope you all join me on this journey. Thanks y'all for joining me. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.